it is probably one of my favorite scriptures when it comes to just a scene. When you, you know, I always talk about if you could step into a, a time in scripture, what would that look like? And, and of course, I want to step into most of them, not like the fiery furnace or the lion's den, things like that, but, but to step into most of these and be able to just to see the moment and see the, the, how it went down. And Well, this is one of those kind of scenes, a, a grand scene, where there's a lot going on and it's big. Kind of like um, when Elijah prays that God will show his servant the uh, surroundings of him, of that's going on, and, and God opens the servant's eyes and he sees all the armies of the Lord surrounding them. Uh, those kind of moments when you could just be standing there and go, wow, this, this is pretty amazing. Well, this scripture is one of those where there's, there's a, a big thing going on, and there's a lot of stuff, and you get to see... You get to see these little glimpses, as I spoke of, um, maybe a month or so ago, or a little bit more, about the, the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, where, where you get to see a little bit of that glory of Jesus, that, that, um, that, that, that transcendent deity-ness of Jesus, that, that, that Jesus didn't operate in on this earth when he, he did that on purpose, but we get to see little glimpses of those kind of things. Well, this is, this is one of those little moments, little glimpses, where, where God reveals the, the, the bigger. He reveals something that is beyond uh, the, the human. He reveals something that's beyond the, the temporal, the limitedness of, of our humanity. And, and I think when those moments happen, you have to really pay attention, not just to the moment, but you have to pay attention to all the details, all the stuff that's surrounding this. Why did God choose to do it then? That's a very important question. Anytime you're seeing these things in Scripture, why did God choose then? Why did God choose where and how he did it. These are very important because they give us a lot more than just the moment. They give us everything that God does. He reveals himself in the process. He reveals who he is. He reveals how he sees us or interacts with us and those kind of things. And so I think you have to look at all of that stuff at the same time. God is trying to show all of us him constantly. Every one of us here, he's trying to show us him. He's trying to show us all the aspects of his grace and his mercy and his and his love and his justness, his righteousness, all these kind of things. He, he's trying to show us, and he does this through Scripture, but then he also does that in other ways too, where we have our own little personal stories of, of I, I got to know God better, or God showed me this in Scripture, show me this in life, or whatever. And so, so who he's showing it to, when, how, all this kind of stuff is very important in, in the process. Luke chapter 2. Verse 8, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Think about that statement, the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. I I always think of Isaiah 6 when I think of this, because when it it says that the the heavens open, it's kind of like the curtains of heavens open, and, and and Isaiah saw into heaven, and he sees the glory of the Lord. He doesn't see the Lord. I, I talked about this last week in the scripture that says that we will never, ever, even into eternity, we will never, ever see the fullness of the Lord's glory. It's too big for us. We will never see that. The, the idea that somehow when we get to heaven, that we're on like an equal plane with the Lord and, and we just, we know everything, all the things. I grew up with all this, this thought process. That's not what scripture says. We will have perfected minds and bodies. Yes, we will have, we will have stepped into to glory with the Lord, but we will never, ever see the end of his, the, 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 the fullness of who he is. He's too big. Even, even when we're in perfection, he's still too big for us. We're going we're gonna to see him more and more all the time. We're going we're gonna to know his love more. We're going to know the, his embrace more in, in huge sense, but we're never going to get the, to the end of who he is. For eternity, we'll never get to the end of who he is. And this right here says that the radiance of the Lord's glory, the same thing in Isaiah, the, the Lord's, the, 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 the way Isaiah 6 would say it, it would be like the afterglow, like when a comet goes by and you see the, the, the tail of the comet, that's kind of what Isaiah is seeing. He, he's not seeing the amazingness of God, he's seeing the afterglow or the after effect of the amazingness of God. And this is the same thing, the angels step into the scene. They step into to physicalness and, uh, and allow these shepherds' eyes to be open. Now, I, I think that these angels are around us all the time. I think Scripture shows us that. But we can't see them because our eyes are, are, are blinded by sin. This, this uh, thing that happened in the garden stops us from seeing the fullness of God's glory. But, but for a moment here, 
God opens these shepherds' eyes and they get to see not the fullness of God. I don't even think really the fullness of all these angels and everything else, but they get to see the radiant glory. They get to see the, 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 the effects of that, I guess is, is, is a good way to say that. So they suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, that's an interesting sentence because he's saying that this joy that the Lord is bringing is for everyone. Okay, so here's the question. If, if, this, if this joy and the glory of the Lord and all the stuff that's involved with this is for everyone, why is it happening there? Why is God revealing himself there? Why is this moment unfolding there? It could, it could be happening a lot of places. It could be, according to the way America kind of thinks today, or parts of America thinks today, the only way that it really should happen, if this, happen, if this same moment happened right now in America, that it should happen in New York City or Hollywood. Right? You follow my thinking process here? That, that's kind of the thought. But see, this is not what God does. Even though he says this is for everybody, and obviously we know 2,000 years later that, that this statement, this is for all, is is way bigger than anybody at that time frame could have even understood, that this is for everybody. We are recipients, little on the other side of the planet, we're recipients of, of this joy, this glory, this amazingness, this story of Jesus Christ. And, and it is for everybody. So why did he do it here? The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a, okay, let me, let me pause here because this I think is important. He says, you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the baby wrapped. I, I, I was struggling with that sentence and I looked in a few different versions because something wasn't jiving with me. So, so these angels are saying to the shepherds, you're going to know, um, the, the, you're going to know this, this story. You're going to know this joy of the Lord. You're going to know the Lord himself by this sign. The sign is a baby in the manger. And I'm thinking, the baby in the manger had to have been more than a sign. That, that he, this is Jesus. This is, all, all these angels work for him. These angels are his army. The angels, the angels were created by him. So for them to say, oh, the sign that you'll know that, this, that the Lord's thing is happening is this baby. That, that can't be right. So I looked, uh, I looked it up and looked in the word sign doesn't mean the way we would use the word sign, which is um, a proof of something. The word sign here literally would mean um, this, is the, this is the miracle or the evidence of the miracle unfolding in front of you. You will, you will see the miracle itself is literally the way that this... Now, can it be translated sign? Sure, but not, not the way... I, I think that we use the word sign. I don't think it should be translated that way. So this is, this is what they're saying. And you will recognize him by being the miracle. You will recognize that he is actually the miracle. That he is the story. He is the joy. He's the peace. He's all this stuff. You'll recognize that he's the miracle. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. Now again... This is one of those moments when you don't, if you're reading this for the first time and you don't know the story, you don't know anything, this might catch you off guard because it doesn't seem to flow the way it should be written, okay? Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. Who are these others? Who would you think they should be? The, the heavens are about to erupt with a, a song, a choir singing a song. Who do you think the angel should be joined with by to have a song being sung. And then it says, the armies of heaven. That's not who I would necessarily have picked to do the singing. Right? Some of you, the military, when I was in boot camp, we used to have this, um, um, this cadence. You'd march and do this cadence, and you always had somebody, was your mouthpiece, it started everything. And, and it was amazing how, how bad guys could sing. It was surprising to me. I mean, I'm, I grew up musical. My whole family's musical. I was, and, and I would sit there, and the singing was worse to me than the marching many times. 
I'm like, let's just march for a few hours quietly, if you don't mind. And then this, but see, this is who God chooses to, to sing. And interestingly, this is, this is the cool way that God does stuff. He always does things that, that do not go the direction that human beings think they should go. We wouldn't write the story that way. We wouldn't do it this way. So then when you actually go to battle at Jericho, he doesn't have the soldiers do this stuff. He has the, the band strike up and the singers and the choir fighting the battles. So the choir and the band are fighting the battles and the army's doing the singing. God does not work the way we think, which by the way, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time is, um, is good. I'm saying from my perspective, obviously, it's always good when God does it, but I'm saying from my perspective, it's good, but not always. In fact, I said this, um, I, I said this during our staff meeting this last week, I was talking to pastors and different things and about how God really doesn't ask my opinion about what he wants to do. I do have one, and I, and I do try to tell God every now and then how I think he should do his job. But he doesn't care, and he doesn't ask me. And I think it was, Krista was praying for the end of our staff meeting, and she said, she was praying, and she said, and God, if you could ever um, listen to pastor's opinion, I think it would help him. And I thought... That is so nice of you to say. And you know God's up there going, I don't think that's a good idea. So, so suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, or singing, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. That's a good answer, right? This all happens what do you think the answer should be? Go where they just said this is going down. Instead of, wow, that was nice. Okay, what's for dinner? You know, it's not that kind of thing. So they, they all said, let's head to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. See, it was just as important for Mary and Joseph to know what had happened out there in the fields than it was for the shepherds to know what had happened. Um, it was very important for the drummer boy that was standing there to know what had happened. All who had heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. See, this, was, this had to have been important for Mary. You, that little statement right there, Mary put these things in her heart and, and, and watched what happened or... or, or carried through life. We see that statement a few times through the New Testament. And the reason is, no matter how much an angel can come and tell you something in person, and you know this is the truth, you know what God is, that time, time can, can, can wear that down. Time and just life can, can chip away at what God has told you. And even though you know that you know that you know this is truth, this is reality, God has promised you this, God has said this, God has showed you this, time Time can, can make that dissipate. It's, it's normal human nature. Every one of us have experienced that at different levels where you know that God has said this. I've talked to many parents over the years that their children are not serving God, and these are grown children. Their children are not serving God, but they keep holding on to a promise that God has given them in, in a few ways, through Scripture or through something profoundly in their spirit. But that can wear away over time. And, and, and it was just as important for Mary that the shepherds come and tell her what had just happened out there in the fields than it was for the shepherds. This is, this is, these are important moments for all of us. This is why, I know I harp on this so much, but this is why having a, a good accountability partner, a good accountability group in your life is so vital. You are not a lone ranger. You cannot do this by yourself. You have to have people speaking into your life, in, in conviction, you have to have people speaking your life in, um, in edification. You have to have encouragement. You have to have sometimes people just saying, you are out of line. You need to change some things. You need that kind of stuff going on because no matter how much God has put something in your heart and promised you something or showed you something, that can dissipate in your spirit over time. That is, that is human nature. This is, this is why Paul says this great statement where, where he says, um, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
that the, 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 this being filled with the Holy Spirit, constantly, constantly, constantly be being filled with the Holy Spirit, all through your life, all through your days, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because um, I heard a pastor say this when I was a young youth pastor, and he said, the reason we need the Holy Spirit constantly in filling us and empowering us is because we leak. Our minds, our bodies, our spirit, our, our faith, it leaks. And we need re-strengthening. We need empowerment. We need the Holy Spirit constantly rolling through us doing what He wants to do. We're human beings and we're, we're, we're broken human beings that need a lot of help. But that's okay because Jesus is the help. He's promised us that He will be that. Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel told them. There's a bunch going on with this, but I've often thought to myself, what, you know, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, what about these shepherds? Is there the chance? Um, the first time I ever saw this or thought about this, I, I was a kid and I saw the movie Ben-Hur. You guys remember that movie with uh, Moses? I mean, Charlton Heston. And uh, it's weird how Moses jumped forward like that, but because... Uh, Ben-Hur comes across Jesus. Now, you don't get to see Jesus. You just see the kind of like uh, ben, um, uh, his response to Jesus. Okay? But, but the idea that somebody else, some historical figure would come across Jesus made me think to myself, I wonder how many people that we read through the New Testament um, actually interacted with Jesus in different ways that we didn't understand. Like, is there a potential that one of these shepherds, 25 years later, Sees Jesus. You, you, you follow on my train of thought? This is, these are these moments when, and, and, and this shepherd goes, oh, I know who that is. I saw him as a baby. You know why I saw him as a baby? Because a whole chorus of soldiers were singing about him and told us he was going to be there. Those kind of moments, those kind of things where you go, wow, how did they, is there the possibility that they cross paths again? Is there the possibility they got to see or, or know more or understand some of those kind of things. These are, these are, are moments where I think Jesus is doing stuff. I, there, was this, there was this biblical arts museum in Dallas that, that made me think about this too. It, it actually burned to the ground about 20-something years ago. But I used to take, when I was a youth pastor, I used to take youth groups to this biblical arts museum. And the reason is they had <clears throat> a, a painting called The Miracle of Pentecost. You can go on your phone, you can look at it, probably right now if you get a little bored, but you, you, can, you can look at this painting. It's 120 foot long. And in um, the very middle of the painting was um, <clears throat> Peter. And, and every single person mentioned in the New Testament was, is in this painting. And it's called the Miracle Pentecost. They've got things built into the painting that are like little flames of fire and all this kind of stuff. And the, and the story is Acts chapter 2. And you sit in this biblical arts museum in, in little stadium area. And this painting is covering the entire... Uh, area, and then they would begin to read out of the book of Acts. And as they began to read, um, and it would say, in the sound of a mighty rushing wind, they had these huge fans up in the ceiling, they would turn the fans on. And, uh, and then little flames of fire would begin to light up over the heads of, of the people in the painting at different times. And um, just one of those things where it kind of ties everybody in the New Testament together, and the fact that the Holy Spirit and supernaturally infills limited human beings. And by the time you get to the end of this, and the, the guy that's reading has got a little bit of a British accent because you're supposed to, and, and the, the flames of fire and all this kind of stuff, I mean, you, you, it's just, a, it was, it, it's just a, a amazingly spiritual moment. And, and somebody burned it down. They said it was arson that burnt that museum down. I know, that's, I should have ended on a little bit more positive note than that. So here's the question, the, these shepherds, why, why did God choose them there at that moment? Why did he have the choir singing to them? Why did the armies of the Lord begin to sing for these shepherds at that moment? Why then? Why there? Why not somebody else? Why not in the middle of Jerusalem? Why, wouldn't that have made more sense theologically? Why, why not some big metropolitan, if there was a thing like that, then? Right? I want to show you a little video. This is 
a great Christmas movie. We talked about some of these kind of things Wednesday night. We, we have different traditions. Well, this is one of mine. I, I need to see every Christmas, I need to see two movies. I need to see um, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Who's with me? All right. So, uh, and I need to see White Christmas with Ben Crosby. Um, and this is a little scene out of, of White Christmas. The, the story, in case you don't know it and you haven't seen it and, and you're an ogre or something, I don't know what's wrong with you. But uh, this, uh, this part of the story, the general for the soldiers has opened this inn and it's going under and all this stuff. So Ben Crosby and um, his partner, um, Danny Kay, uh, they come up with this plan, get all the soldiers together and help revive the, the inn and all this stuff. And this is when they show up. The general doesn't know they're going to be there. And, uh, and they're singing to the general. Let, let's look at this. are ready for inspection, sir. I am not satisfied with the conduct of this division. Some of you men are under the impression having been at Anzio entitles you not to wear neckties. Well, you're wrong. Neckties will be worn in this area. And look at the rest of your appearance. You're a disgrace to the outfit. You're soft. You're sloppy. You're unruly. You're undisciplined. And I never saw anything look so wonderful in my whole life. Thank you all. So, here's the, here's the reason I showed that. It was uh, just crass commercialism. I just wanted to pull you in emotionally. Army singing. I, I, I thought about this. When it says the armies of the Lord saying to the shepherds about the baby. Have you ever processed how these, not just angels in a general sense, but these angels are very specific. These are military angels. These are army angels. These are the angels that are going to be um, uh, fighting with the Lord at the Battle of Armageddon. That's that kind of thing. These are, the, these are the armies of the Lord that are surrounding Elijah when his servant has his eyes open. These are the armies of the Lord doing the stuff all through Scripture. How did they feel about Jesus, their, their, their general, their, their king, their commander? How, how do they feel about Jesus going into this tiny little human baby body? Have you ever thought that maybe there was at least one of those army angels that are standing there telling the shepherds this, that are just kind of a little bit irritated at these tiny little humans that are taking their king, their warrior king, and, and, and um, not only is he going to come into human form, but he's also going to die at their hands. This is the, the warrior of all warriors. This is the king of all kings. This is the, the, the way Scripture says it multiple times through the Old Testament. This is the Lord of the heaven's armies. And he's going to take on this tiny little human form, and then he's going to be brutalized by these same humans. And these, these army angels are singing to the shepherds about the king that is going to be brutalized by them. Why, why is Jesus even doing all of that? I'm not saying we understand the cross and salvation, but why is he doing it, now? Why is he doing it at this place? Why is, he, why is he having the angels show himself to the shepherds and all this other stuff? I, I really believe that there's a, a very important key to this. The fact that I can stand here now, in fact, this, this is, this is the, the title of this this morning, is that Jesus came for me. There's, there is something about knowing that Jesus came to this earth specifically for me. 
Now, I pick on some of that thinking sometimes. You know, the, the statement that um, if you were the only one on the earth, Jesus would have died for you. I, I, I struggle with that statement. Is it true? I, yeah, in a real sense, I guess it's true, but it's, it's not relevant or valid because you're not the only person on the earth and you never will be. So, so there's a flaw in even the thinking. I understand the reason we say that stuff is because we're trying to say Jesus died just for you, and I get that. But Jesus dies for everybody. He didn't die just for you. He dies for us all because why? He loves us all so deeply. He cares for us all more than we could ever imagine. And I think the reason that he, well, I believe strongly the reason that he shows himself to these shepherds at this time is because this is ingrained within the concept of who Jesus is. He came to the lowest of the lowest so that he could, they could see his glory because they're very important to him. They're very important. None of us in this room are the lowest of the lowest. None of us are. You, you, it doesn't, you, you kind of have to get out of America for that even really to apply at some level. It, it does apply some. But just, just being in America takes you so much higher in so many ways than the lower of the low. It just does. You step into other places on the planet and you begin to kind of see this um, shepherd mentality. So here's something just to process. Again, it, it's not going to happen. We understand that. But, but just to process. If Jesus... If Jesus touched ground right now on this planet to do something similar as being born in Bethlehem and all that kind of stuff, if he was going to, to recreate that right now on the planet, where would he land? And where would the armies of the Lord begin singing? Who would they sing to? Think about this. I'm not trying to be you know, anti-American. I'm, I'm pro-American. But I don't think he would land in America. And I don't think the choirs of heaven would be singing in America. And I definitely don't think they'd be singing on the coasts of America. That's just me. I think if he was going to land, it'd be somewhere like Kansas or something. I don't know. Why? I don't know. It'd be flyover country. If he chose America, it'd be flyover country, right? Some rural town in Mississippi. And everybody would be like, oh, we don't believe those people. <laughs> it didn't happen. But think about where would, where would the choir sing? I've, I've been in places in India where I think that's where he would sing. I've been in places in Africa where I think that is where he would sing. I've been in places in South America where I think that's where he would sing. Are, are you following me? Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Well, let me go to Philippians chapter 2. I read this last week. And this is, to me, this is the key. Now, I'm just taking one of the sentences out of all the scripture that I read last week. But to focus in again, because this is the essence. This is the key. If we can understand this, we can understand the bigger picture of Jesus in, a, in, in, in so much better way. And we can understand the manger better. I really do believe, I said this three weeks ago when I started some of this, this Christmas stuff, I really believe that the, <clears throat> the baby Jesus in the manger is one of the mis most misunderstood and misused icons in all of society across the planet. We, we, we don't get it. I was, <clears throat> I was thinking about this again yesterday. I love Christmas music, and I had, I had uh, taken Lynn to the airport, and I'm driving back, and, and I'm listening to Christmas music. <clears throat> and and uh, Ben Crosby, who is one of my favorite singers and one of definitely one of my favorite Christmas singers. I mentioned this before. Please don't listen. I, I was in a, I was in a uh, shopping store center or something like that this week, and I heard somebody singing White Christmas. And I almost went to the manager and complained, you need to take that off of there. I don't know who this woman is. I don't know why she's screaming this song. That's Bing's song. Stay with Bing. Right? I, you understand what I'm saying? Some things you just don't mess with, and that's one of them. It's my particular golden calf, and I'm not going to mess with it. And I'm sitting there, and Bing Crosby's singing this other song, and he's singing about this, um, this, this Savior Redeemer that is born into a physical form. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Bing ever understood that. Right? 
Frank Sinatra, I love to hear him sing Christmas songs. I wonder if Frank ever understood that, that Jesus really is peace on earth. Not physically in nations and countries, but in our spirit and in our heart and mind. I wonder if he ever got that. This is one of the things when I was growing up, I, w- I wanted to be Elvis. Elvis died in my lifetime. Um, I, was, I was almost junior high by the time Elvis died. And, and I, re- I remember thinking to myself, because he would sing these, Chris, these uh, Christian songs. You can go online and see it. In fact, Elvis would end every concert with, with um, I can't think of the song, but it's something like How Great Thou Art. But he would end his concerts with that. And then go do who knows what. And I always thought, do you understand what you're singing? Your only hope is what you just said. Your only hope. Bing Crosby's only hope is the fact that Jesus is truly the King of kings and the Lord and the Savior of everything. Not not that he's one of the options. He's the only option. Do we get that sometimes? Is the baby Jesus, is, is that be, does that become an icon to us? Or is it really something that, that we understand he's the king? He, this Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, talking about Jesus. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That, that's amazingly powerful. He voluntarily said, I'm going to come into this human existence for these people that I love so much. I, I, I said this a few weeks ago. This, is, this to me, is the, it, it is so important that, that we can even see this. I still believe that the most important, the biggest, the most transcendent miracle that Jesus ever did was not the cross. That is the one for us as we're on this earth. That is, it's life for us. It is life or death. If you, if you accept Jesus, you spend eternity with him in heaven. If you don't, you don't. That, that is the truth. So the cross is everything for us uh, on this earth. But I believe when we're in eternity for a million years and we look back, I believe we're going to understand that the most amazing supernatural thing that Jesus ever does is the incarnation. Coming to this limited humanness for these limited people. And giving everything. That, that, that's amazing to me. That, that he would do that. And he would do this for us. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go to the Beatitudes. Because I think, I think the Beatitudes are the, are, are the baby in the manger. I think when Jesus gives up his divine privileges, this is, this is, this is what he's doing and thinking. He came to say this to us. He came to live this for us. And then he expects us, and this is, this is the strong part for us. This was where it, be, it becomes convicting for us, is he expects us to, to do this, to live this, to think this way. He expects us to have a, if you're going to go to somebody and declare Jesus, go to the shepherds first. Go to the shepherds first. Don't, don't search out the important and the rich. They need Jesus too. They do. Go to the shepherds first. I can't remember which evangelist said this, but he said, if you, if you always minister to the poor, the needy, the wealthy and the unneedy will follow. Because they see the importance of that. They, they sense that. There's intuitiveness to that. In fact, some of the goofiness that Hollywood does right now and some of the, the weird, misaligned thinking I actually think comes from this, 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 the, 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 this hunger and desire for God and to, do, and to be who God wants us to be and to do the things that God wants. And so when they make these millions of dollars and billions of dollars and, they, and they, they feel guilty. Why do they feel guilty? Because they're not realizing who they are and there's this longing and there's this emptiness. There's this, this I, I know that there's more than what I'm doing. I know there's more than the money and the parties and the junk. I know that there's more. And so then they vilify themselves by, by not even realizing to do it. I, I mentioned this, that Mark Ruffalo has been attacking, attacking, attacking. He's the Incredible Hulk. Attacking um, capitalism. Mark, that's how you got wealthy. 
But see, he feels guilty. Instead of turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you might have actually given me this to be used for you. I don't think having millions of dollars is wrong or bad. It should be a tool that God uses, just like your gifts and abilities and everything else should be a tool that God uses. You, you give this to God. God, what do you want to do? But he doesn't have that outlet because he doesn't believe that. He doesn't go that direction. And so now he feels guilty and doesn't know what to do with it. So then he picks on somebody that makes $100,000 a year. That makes sense. So I digress. Matthew chapter 5. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. This is... This is one of the few places where Jesus actually does what, what I would consider active teaching. And he does parables, he does all that stuff is teaching, all of it is discipling people, all of it is mentoring, all this kind of stuff. But this is one of the few places where it appears that he actually just teaches. It says, let me show you divine truths, and, and just spells them out. He doesn't wrap them in a parable, he doesn't, he doesn't mix them up in, in life stories, whatever, he just, he just lays it out here. And to me, this is the manger. He starts off, verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. I, I don't think this is talking about money. In fact, in, if you read in the King James, I think it's pretty obvious it's not talking about money. The people that are poor, poor in what? Poor in spirit, poor in life. Poor in existence, poor in direction, poor in purpose. And he says, when they realize they need him, that's the blessing. That's, that's the moment. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That, that's a great starting point. When you realize that you need Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is now yours. You've, you've got it. You've understood. This is the point this is the purpose. I know I say this a lot around here. I do this with my children. I constantly, in fact, as they get older and marrying and having kids and doing all this kind of stuff, I, I say this more and more. The purpose of life is Jesus. The point of life is Jesus. It's not all the other stuff. God gives us this opportunity to do this other stuff. He, he does. My my. Middle child, Isaac, he, he works with computers, does all this stuff. Um, he loves his job. He loves what he's doing. He's good at it. But, and, but I try to remind him regularly, Isaac, that's an opportunity God is giving you. But ultimately, it's so that you can declare him. It's so that you can live for him. It's so that you can do the same thing that John uh, 1.14 says that Jesus came to do. The reason Jesus put on physical flesh, it says in, in John 1.14, is so that we could see the glory of God. Guess what? Guess why you have physical flesh on? So people can see the glory of God. And he lets you do stuff. He lets you have life and family and, and um, children and, and then grandchildren, which is way cooler than children. And I, I, I told my son the other day, he, they, we have this group face messenger video chat thing that when it rings, we all answer it. So there's like six screens on there all at the same time. And I, I tell him, I say, guys, thank you for being here. I love hearing your voices and seeing your faces. But you understand I'm only looking at one of these squares. That's the one my granddaughter's in. I'm, I'm looking at her and talking to her. You guys are background noise. Well, God gives you opportunities and blessings and all this kind of stuff. Why? To reveal the glory of God. And he says this. God blesses those who mourn. For they will be comforted. That is a promise. You, you should take that and write it down somewhere and put it where you can see it regularly. Because you may not be mourning now, but you're going to in the future. You will go through a time of mourning. It is going to happen. And there is an amazing promise that God will comfort you. He will. Let, let me ask it this way. How many of you have ever experienced that? You know God is comforted. That is a promise that is transcendent. And when you need it, as Philippians 4 says, that the peace of God that goes beyond natural understanding, why? Because it's supernatural. It's the Holy Spirit. We need to be comforted by those things, by the, at those moments and times. God blesses those who are humble. We've been talking about this a lot. We talked about this quite a bit Wednesday night. 
This is, this, is the, this is what I talked about last week, that the wise men, the, the key to the story of the wise men is humility and submission. It's not bringing gold, myrrh, and Frankenstein. It's all this other stuff. It's, it's the submission of these wise, learned, educated people. It, it's, I, I'll tell you something. This is, this is actually part of the motivation for me speaking all this this morning. I, I've um, I processed this a lot over the years, and specifically over the last few months, I've processed this quite a bit. Um, when I first started going to a seminary, I'd gone to, I'd gone to college when I first got out of, uh, when I was in the Navy, I first got out of high school, and um, didn't do well, uh, failed out, went into ministry. Well, I told people, you know, I, I went into ministry, but I didn't really have a lot of other options. Follow God because I wasn't doing good at school. So, so then 10 years later, 12 years later, something I don't remember, uh, I went back to school, got my bachelor's degree. Then I went to seminary, first seminary, and, and, and people were joking at the time. Okay, this is, this is key. They were joking with me at the time, oh, you're going to cemetery, right? And I was, I was worried about this. I was really worried about trying to pursue education and that actually contributing to my downfall somehow. And, and I'll, I'll tell you honestly, most, this was a lot more surprising to me than I would, than I think is comfortable for all of us. Most of the people I met in seminary have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Most. There are some that do, and they have great relationship with Jesus. But most have no relationship with Jesus at all. He is a person of history that they study. He is not their living God and Savior. And I thought about this a lot, specifically, specifically as I took the next step and I started getting my doctorate. I really, I really analyzed this and processed this. You can get to a point where your knowledge contradicts the point of the knowledge or the reason for the knowledge. Your understanding can contradict the revelation the Holy Spirit is trying to do with this. Knowledge alone is, 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 is uh, at some point, it's dangerous even. It doesn't accomplish anything. But it, but it can make you think that you're all that. This is, this is what academia is struggling with so much right now, is that, that they really think they're the smartest people on the planet, and that everybody should do what they think. And so if you believe in something trite, like God, there's something wrong with you. You're stupid. And, and, I'm, and I'm not just saying that. You, you can go online and Google this, and in five seconds, get plenty of professors around the country that think that, that rural America are a bunch of dumb, hayseed hicks. And by the way, I have met many people right here in this city that are part of the religious crowd that think the same thing. That's dangerous. That, that is very dangerous. And, and we, get to this, we get to this point where in the higher echelons of denominations and religious think and seminaries and all this stuff, that there, there's a void of passion for our Creator. A void of that. That's why ministries and things have to, to pop up. And, and I'm saying parachurch organizations have to pop up because the church oftentimes is not doing the job and is not open to it being done. And so somebody says, I've got a passion to do this. I want to do this. I've even dealt with that within our own fellowship, the Assemblies of God. And, and I, think we're, I think we're the best thing going out there, okay? I really do. I, 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 know, I know I pick on the Assemblies of God sometimes. But I really think we're the best thing going out there, specifically with missions. I only think there's a couple other groups on the planet that are as strong as us. But here's the key with this. I have dealt with this with missionaries that are trying to become missionaries and they're, and they're being limited and restricted by their, the leadership of our fellowship. Why? And then we've got other missionaries say, I want to be a missionary to the surfers. All right, dude. What? Legitimate ones can't get in. And then you've got 
guys wanting to play with tinker toys, saying, I want to be a missionary of the Lego people. Okay, what? And I'm not exaggerating that one. Look that one up. So, so here's what it is, is the Holy Spirit is trying to stir something on us. When I, when, I, when I started getting my degrees, I really struggled with this. And this is the weird hypocrisy that happens with this. I've had more doors open to me when people find out I have a doctorate than I ever did before. But I'm the same person. You, you see? I'm the same person. I'm not saying there's an illegitimacy that. I worked hard for this doctorate. I worked hard for it. Many, many hours, years working for this. I'm not... I'm not negating higher education in that stuff. I think it's great. I think it's productive. But at the end of the day, my doctorate does nothing to get me closer to Jesus. Nothing. Your pedigree means nothing in the kingdom of God. Your bloodline does not cover you with the blood of Jesus. It is our hearts fashioned after the Lord. That's what it is. We've got, to, we've got to make sure that we, that, we, uh, that we get the core of this. The choir didn't show themselves to the religious leaders of the day. The choir showed themselves to the shepherds. And that's, that's the passion and the heartbeat of Jesus. Because Jesus always seemed to gravitate and go toward the, the, the children, the poor, the women. We've been, we've been processing this in my own household quite a bit lately. Linda got her ordination a couple years ago. She was always kind of against it. Linda does not like it if you call her pastor Linda. She'll tell you, uh, Scott's the pastor. I'm just a whip that makes him do... No, that's not what she says. <laughs> but she doesn't like that because she doesn't see herself that. In fact, I'm way more egalitarian than she is. I have no problem with women pastors whatsoever. My grandmother was one. Our, the Assemblies of God has a long heritage of this, but we've gotten away from it over the years, and we've become much more of a, of a patriarchal thing than what we started out 100-plus years ago. She got her ordination so she could mentor women ordinees. We're getting more of those again. We're seeing a resurgence of, of, our, of our roots. And she gets, she, she gets pushback, which is weird because if you know her for about 10 seconds, you shouldn't push her, Right? Some of you are like, yeah, I pushed her once. She, she hit me right in the eye. I, she's been getting pushback. She's been getting resistance in different places around Colorado, Utah, and our fellowship, the National Fellowship. Because why? One reason. She's a woman. Mm. Jesus revealed himself to the, the first person to ever preached the gospel was a woman. It was a woman. What do you do with that? What do you do with that in a male-dominated, focused, religious group? Jesus came to save me. Now, regardless of how lowly I am, regardless of how insignificant I am in society, Jesus came to save me. And he came to save you regardless of how, where you think you are in the hierarchy of the world. Jesus came to save you. I was having this conversation with our, our pastors in India the other day because um, there's so many cultural things. Not to, uh, too late, too long to talk about all that. I was telling him, his, one of our pastors, his wife is a Hindu. We didn't understand that when we hired him. And, and they have a child now. And, uh, and I keep telling him, the most important thing for you as a pastor is that your wife know Jesus. The most important thing for you as a pastor is that your child grow up knowing Jesus. Take him with you to the villages and have him stand there and watch dad pray for people. When people are healed, Devaj is watching this. That's most important. That's more important than anything you'll do as a pastor. Most important. We've got to, we've got to understand that Jesus came for the whatever we think is insignificant. Jesus came for this. God blesses those who are humble. Who are humble. Do you think you're all that? Because you're not. And when you start thinking you're all that, it's going to hurt you and everybody you're associated with. I, I said this a couple months ago. 
I was talking about I was going to buy something. God convicted me. And I was, but, but here's the key. Be careful when you start thinking, I deserve. It doesn't matter what about. Be careful when you start thinking, I deserve. Because why? Why do you deserve? My, my thinking was, I'm almost 50 years old. Shouldn't somewhere I start deserving? Which is, which is ironic, because I've gotten a whole lot more than I ever deserve. But be careful when you start thinking, I deserve. I'm older. I've got my money in the, in the bank. I've got, be careful. Bless those, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. That's cool. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Justice, true justice, not fairness. I've picked on this before. I hate the word fair. Fair is so relative. Who decides what's fair? Fair to who? When is it fair? Fair Fair is a goofy word. Shouldn't use fair. Just, that's a different kind of word. Just will always be just. Fair will not always be fair. He says, those that hunger for, for thirst for justice will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You want mercy? Be merciful. You want grace? Be graceful. You want love? Love others. You want kindness? Be kind to others. You plant the seed and God will grow it in your life. If you're not planting a seed, he's got nothing to work with. You plant the seed, he'll grow it. God blesses those who, whose hearts are pure. Not, not perfect people. That's not what he's saying. But you know the difference. You know the difference when you're doing something right or wrong. You know the difference. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. We have to be careful when, we, when we're thinking about persecution. Sometimes we're persecuted because we're dumb, right? Sometimes we're persecuted because we said things we shouldn't have. We've acted in a way we shouldn't have. you, You know what gets people into more trouble nowadays than I think just about anything? The fact that it is so easy to hit send after you've written that email. But email doesn't have body language, voice tenor, doesn't have any of those kind of things. It just has words, and you send it, and then you're like, oops, wish I had that back. Or you spend the next two or three weeks saying, that's not what I meant, that's not what I meant, but it's what you wrote. It's, 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 it's weird, how, and then we'll, then we'll get upset, well, they just misunderstood me. This is not, this is not persecution for that. It's not persecution for making bad decisions. It's not persecution. It's persecution for loving Jesus and doing what's right. If that's the case, the kingdom of heaven is yours. That's amazing. Stand with me if you would. We're going to pray. The way that I would like us to go down this road, but I think I really want you... Normally we just pray, but I really want you to think about this. Is, is where are you in the big picture? I'm saying to Jesus, where are you in the big picture? Where are you when it comes to your own thinking of where you're in the big picture? Again, your pedigree, nobody gets saved because of your pedigree. They just don't. Nobody gets saved because of your education. Nobody gets saved because of your bank account. Get saved because you tell them. You use that knowledge. You spend that money. You do something that lets people know Jesus. And then people start understanding who Jesus is. Right? Who are you in the big picture? Do you have the mentality of the shepherd? Or do you have the mentality of King Herod? Pharisees or whoever? You have the mentality of the wise men that that knelt down before Jesus. You have the, the, the mentality of the religious few. You're the only one who can answer that for yourself. You're the only one. Are you are you humbling yourself before the Lord?
Let's pray. God, we submit ourselves to you. Jesus, my life is yours. This is not my life. It's yours. God, I ask you to convict me when I don't walk that direction. That, Lord, if I have knowledge, it's to be used for you. If I have wisdom, it's to be used for you. Lord, if I have resources, it's to be used for you. Lord, thank you for the times you have revealed yourself to me. God, let those be humbling moments, not self-aggrandizing. Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you more than anything. Help me to know it when I, when I struggle believing it. Holy Spirit, I ask you just to breathe through this place. Every heart, every, every mind through this whole place. Jesus, Christmas. Christmas is about you revealing yourself to everybody. Starting with the lowest. Lord, get this in our spirit. Get it in our minds. God, help us to fight against. Help us fight against this, the idea that we're just better. That we're better than somebody else. Lord Jesus, throughout this week, I ask you to help us with this. Remind us as we're thinking Christmas and we're thinking the stuff, remind us that you came to a manger, that you came to the shepherds. Lord, as we're sitting in restaurants and, and angry because the, the, the waiter's not doing a good job, Lord, help us to remember that that's probably who you would show yourself to first. Lord, when we're passing the homeless people in the street corners, help us to remember that that might be who you show yourself to first. God, help us to see you. Lord, I pray for everyone who's here that this Christmas season we could see you, truly see you, not, not some baby in the manger, not some plastic Jesus, but truly see you grace, your mercy. Lord, help us to be poor in spirit and needy for you. Jesus. Before we close up, just keep your head bowed. I want to ask you this. As, as, maybe as a response more for you probably than me. If you say, I, I, I think I'm struggling with this a little bit. I, I know this is going to be a difficult way to answer it, but this is what's in my heart. So if you feel like you're getting a little bit of the big head and you really need Jesus to do something about that, I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. We're just going to pray. We're going to all pray get as a group. Or you think, I'm, I'm just getting a little bit big headed and I don't think Jesus is okay with this. Now, quite a few of us, I, I I feel the same way often. I do. It's convicting. Lord, convict us more. Everybody that, that raised their hand, Lord, convict them more because they're hearing, they're listening, they're seeing it. And then draw us close to you in humility. Lord, for anybody in here that's struggling with this and doesn't get it yet, Lord, help us to fight our own desires to be the king. Lord, humble us, humble us before you. Humble us. Jesus. Make us the church that you want us to be. The people that you want us to be, the parents, the spouses, the children that you want us to be. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So I'm praying this week.
I pray more after messages for you than I do before. I think you're picking up on that, but I'm going to be praying for all of us, me, you, every one of us this week. But you're going to have these moments where you, where you come to a, like a crossroads, decision-wise, and that you can see the path of humility and brokenness, that you can see the path of the shepherd thinking over whatever the other option is, and that you, that you intentionally take the path of humility. Intentionally take the path. See it, recognize it, and take that path. That's, that's, that'd be a great gift for all of us. So, before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. I will put on Facebook or keep you updated about my wife. Okay? Please pray. Have a wonderful rest of your day.